Nikolai Paganini in the 17, late 17, early 1800s was one of the greatest violinists that ever lived. And upon his death, he willed this violin to the city of Gino on the condition that the violin would never be played again. This is probably one of the most famous violins, and yet it sits in silence. And a lot about serving is sitting in silence. But let's look at what we looked at last week. First of all, in, verse, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Last week, we talked about surrendering our lives, giving Christ control of our lives, and that we that is actually the start of serving. We have looked at engage God in worship. We engage the lost in evangelism. We connect people around God's word for developing our spiritual faith, but also connecting to one another. Last week, we started with uh, the final in this series, serve. We serve the church, the community, and the world. And part of that means that we must surrender our lives to him. And then Paul said last time that we, in serving and giving ourselves as a living sacrifice, that we have to daily renew our minds. This now becomes clear to me that this this preposition here that we looked at last week is really a preposition for the starting point of service, which Paul now transitions into in these next few verses. And what the Apostle Paul tells us is a lot about uh, possibly laying the foundations of uh, an attitude. If we are renewing our minds, this is what it will look like as it plays out uh, in Christian service to not only Christ, the church, but also the world. He tells us, first of all, to serve humbly before God and focuses on the thoughts immediately. Notice what Paul writes. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you that you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Didomi is the Greek word for think. And what that word means is exaggerated thoughts about your own importance. In other words, you have a blown-up view. If you could put it this way, uh, your head's so big you cannot get through the door. It's, it's exaggerating your importance. Now, what Paul is not saying, and sometimes what he's not saying actually magnifies what he is saying. What he is not saying is that you should think of yourself as lower than dirt. That is unhealthy. He says that you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Paul doesn't want us to think of ourselves extremely low, worthless, no good. Of course, that would not do anybody any good in the kingdom of God because you're you're supposed to serve him with your life and you're supposed to surrender. So that's, that's a wrong view. But there's also equally a wrong view where you are the greatest thing since French toast. You are great. You are beyond. You are, you're exaggerated. And I, in 28 years of ministry, I've, I've seen a few of this where they have exaggerated their self-worth, their self-importance. I remember hearing a funny story of a preacher one, one day after he preached. 
he got in the car. He had his wife next to him. The kids were in the back seat. And uh, he's driving down the road, and he says to his wife, do you know how many really great preachers there are? And his wife responded to him, well, there's one less than you think. <laughs> An exaggerated view of one's self. There's a second point that I want to make here. Not that we, this is the Apostle Paul writing in the church at Corinth, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Your self-worth, your view is not measured against others. You cannot measure yourself against this person. You cannot measure yourself against this person. You cannot measure yourself against this person. That is not how you measure your service in the kingdom of God. Because we have different functions. We have different ways of doing ministry. Now, that's the wrong view. That's the wrong view. For by the grace given to me, I say every one of you that you not think of yourself more highly. You shouldn't blow your ego up and make yourself more important than you should be. And by the way, let me say this. Uh, the, the Greek word here, grace, means God's unmerited favor. Paul says, for the by the grace given me, all of the ministry gifts all of our entire lives are spent under the umbrella of grace. We know what this word means. God's unmerited, undeserved, foreverlasting favor. I brought nothing to the table. Everything that I have belongs to him and his grace, which he has so abundantly given me. And therefore, the starting point for understanding the mindset in which we are to have is that everything we have been given is not based on our own efforts, our own works. Matter of fact, salvation is not based on that. We don't earn salvation. Salvation is given through God's grace. And so the Apostle Paul, before he writes this, he says, before he writes the exaggerated part of it, he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to. Would you agree with me this morning that we are all under the grace of God? Amen. We're all under the grace of God. And I think that's one of the key words in this, in, in, in this uh, verse uh, 3 that is often overlooked. The Apostle Paul is saying grace is kind of levels this out so you, you don't see yourself more highly than you ought. Now, the right way, the right way of viewing yourself, but think with sober judgment. So throw now. So pronoun is the Greek word there, and it refers to using good sense. I remember my friend, uh, Pastor Newt Larson, told us a, a story one, one time uh, when I was taking his preaching class uh, in Akron. And he was telling us a story where he walked out of the sanctuary, and of course it was a rather large church, it's what you consider a mega church, uh, 18,000 worshipers. And... Um, he said he was walking down a flight of stairs and he ran into a gentleman there. And the gentleman stuck out, this is really bad, but he stuck out his hand and he said, uh, Dr. Larson, he said, you're one of the worst pastors this church has ever had. Now, 
He didn't tell us how he responded to it. Um, he might even, knowing Newt, uh, Pastor Newt, he might have said thank you and really brushed it off. He said he walked down the hallway heading to his office and he saw a young couple approaching him. They, and the young man stuck out his hand and he said, uh, Pastor Larson, you're one of the best pastors this church has ever had. Newt said he got into his door, and I say Newt, it's too much friendly term, Dr. Newt. He, he gets to the, his church, his, his, uh, his office door, and he stops, and he goes, you know what? The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I'm not the best, and I'm not the worst. And so when the Apostle Paul says, think of yourself with sober judgment, he's saying use good common sense. Don't exaggerate your importance and don't underestimate your importance. So you have to find the middle place where really you are measuring yourself against the faith that God has given you, which Paul will eventually very, very quickly here review. Uh, Dr. Curtis Vaughn says this, there is no room for high mindedness in the man or woman who owes everything she, he or she has to God. You want to take a realistic view of your importance in the kingdom of God. It must be measured against a different standard. You cannot measure it uh, against other people. You, you, don't, you don't do that because each of us have a different function. It, it has to be measured by something else. And what is the something else? Paul adds it right here each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. A measure of faith that God has assigned. You measure yourself not against others, but by the faith that God has given you. This is not, repeat, this is not a competition between workers. This is not a competition between workers. You are not in competition with any ministry team in this church. You are in competition with the faith or task that God has given you. That's how you measure your self-worth. That's how you focus. You go, am I doing what God has called me to do? One of the things that I love about golf, and I, 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 I haven't got to play much, but uh, one thing that I love about it is when I go out on the golf course, I generally like to play by myself. Now, why do I do that? I play by myself simply so I can just kind of relax, but also the only person I am playing against is me. I don't have to worry about what somebody else is doing. And I've played in golf tournaments before, and I still have the same approach. The only person I have to worry about is me. And brothers and sisters, that's the only thing you have to worry about is the task that God has given you. And you shouldn't exaggerate your self-worth. You shouldn't blow your, your stuff up. And I have, I have seen this. Uh, I've seen it with, with praise teams. Our praise team is better than your praise team. And, 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 and Bible college, people would sit around and they would talk about, this guy's so great, this guy's so wonderful, this guy's the best. This, and, and I've probably done that at times or two in my own life. But you do, that's not how we measure work in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul was on to something here. For by the grace given to me, to, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. 
And that sober judgment is what God has given you and I to do. So when you're tempted to think, boy, he is so good, so much better. Well, that's the measure that God has given him. Or she is really good at this. That's the measure that God has given her. You, you do not measure it against yourself. You measure it against what God has given you. Then Paul talks about the body. Verses 4 and 5 talks about the body. For as in one body, the body of Christ, as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. Praxis is the word for function, which means task, role, or responsibility. So this, this goes along with verse 3, when you're measuring the faith that God has given you against what you're supposed to be doing. He goes and says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm really familiar with, baseball. <laughs> now, for those of you that don't know, this is a, this is a pitcher. This is a catcher. In baseball, that's called the battery. In fact, everything happens with the pitcher and catcher. The catcher is one of the key players on the field. The catcher is not only worried about the pitcher, but he's also worried about the position of the players. Sometimes you'll, you'll see a catcher move around like this, and all of a sudden you'll see the, the team in the infield maybe moving or, or positioning themselves differently, or the outfield doing this. The the, the pitcher and the catcher are vital elements to the baseball team because the catcher not only has to look at the position of the field, he has to look around and see what's going on, but he also has to direct the pitcher for the current batter on what the batter is susceptible to. So the catcher has to know a lot. He's key, but he's not the most important. Then you've got a first baseman, a second baseman, a shortstop, and a third. Each have their own role. Shortstop and second base are key when the ball is hit to the outfield. That's normally where they throw it into, depending on the situation. The outfielders, you have right, center, and left. All of them, if you did not have a center fielder, you got a problem. <laughs> because anything hit the center field, a guy can run for days. Anything hit the right field, if you don't have a right fielder, if you're missing a first baseman, you can't throw anybody out. So, yes, the pitcher and catcher are important. But you have to have each one of these positions in a baseball field or on a, on a baseball team. When a ball's hit out here, the second baseman may, may rush over, a third baseman, depending on the runner. The, the pitcher comes behind home to back up the throw just in case. Everybody working together. It's not just one superstar out there. And Paul is saying, for as one body, we have many members. We have many members, but we all do not have the same function. In the church, Jesus Christ is the leader of the church. Then you have the pastor, you have the deacons, and then you have the congregation. And the congregation is broken down into teams. We have teams in this church. And each of those teams function differently than other teams. The worship team doesn't function like the hospitality team. Sometimes they work together, 
but they don't function the same. They don't have the same. So the hospitality team can't say to the worship team, I'm more important because I provide meals and I provide this. And the worship team can't say, we're more important because we're in the sanctuary and we lead people in worship. Both are equally true, but neither one of them are equally important. They're both important in the kingdom of God. Then Paul goes on and he gives a, he says here in verse 5, so we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other places, the Apostle Paul uses the body. If you, in the body, you have eyes, you have ears, you have a mouth, you have arms, you have hands, you have fingers, you have feet. In other places, the Apostle Paul says, the eyes can't tell the feet because you're not eyes. You're not part of the body. That doesn't make sense because it is part of the body. And each of us have different functions. And so the Apostle Paul here is using the body image to make a point. Every person in God's church is important. But they are equal. If you do not have eyes, you cannot see. If you do not have ears, you cannot hear. If you do not have a mouth, you cannot speak. If you do not have hands, you can't pick up. If you do not have feet, you cannot walk. Each one of them work in conjunction with others to make you, make you do the kingdom work. And so the Apostle Paul puts it in the body sense. You could say it this way, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, or 12, 27. Now you are part of the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Let me, let me tell you this as your pastor. Each of you are important to the kingdom of God. Whatever role that you do, you say, well, I, I just sign up to sweep and clean the church. That's important. That's important. People come in, they see a dirty church, they won't want to come back. That's, that, that's important. Robert Mounts, I wanna, Robert Mounts, one of my favorite unity and diversity is the theme that runs through this section this unity however which is spiritual was only possible because the members were in christ that is joined by faith they had become part of the body of christ tell me how important or unimportant let's say it this way tell me how unimportant somebody is in the body of christ tell me They're very important. Very important. There is no unimportant or insignificant people in the kingdom of God. You have value. Tell you that point blank. You have value because you are part of the body of Christ. But it doesn't mean that you have extra value. It doesn't mean that you should exaggerate the way you see yourself. We are all part of this body of Christ. And, and Dr. Robert Mounts is correct here. Um, <laughs> this is also key, just like grace was key. I've seen preachers exaggerate their own importance. I've seen deacons exaggerate their own. Well, I own this church. No, you don't. You don't own this church. Jesus Christ owns this church. Pastor Mike does not own this church. Jesus Christ owns this church. You do not own this church. Jesus Christ owns it. And therefore, we keep that in perspective 
and I think things, if we're serving humbly before God, it will make a difference. It will make a difference in how we do our ministries. Secondly, and support the work of ministry. And these gifts here, they're broken down in a lot of different ways. I, I just chose to do speaking gifts and uh, serving gifts. Now, he says here, having gifts that differ, charisma, uh, gifts for serving, if you will, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. There's that word given again. And uh, the word grace, I, me I meant to say given, is the word for produce. So when you have these gifts that are given, they are given for you and I to produce. Of course, not apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. But when God gives you these gifts, you're to use them in kingdom service. And it's, it's kind of like when, I personally believe this, I think Paul teaches this, that when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you gifts to be used in kingdom service. So if you're not using them in kingdom service, you're not involved in kingdom service, then that, that, that's problematic because everybody in this church should have a function. That, that's how God completes the body of Christ. Now, um, he talks here about speaking gifts, and these speaking gifts are spread throughout 6, 7b, and 8a. Um, and, and these gifts are prophecy or speaking a word. Now, you'll notice that each of these gifts also have a way of how to do them. Paul mentions it and then mentions, mentions how to actually do the gift. First one is, is prophecy, which is speaking a word from God. Some of us think of the word prophecy, we think of next week the skies are going to explode or something's good. We think of prophecy that way. I'm not exactly sure this is what Paul means. It can mean that, but more specifically, preaching a word from God. Well, in that sense, I prophecy every week because I speak a word from God. However, that should be tempered in proportion to the faith, and that refers to speaking only what God tells you to say. Which means the person that has speaking a word from God has a very high responsibility to make sure that he does not exceed what God wants him to say. And this is, I, I know a lot of pastors, and this is, this is one of the areas that um, we need to be much more careful about what we say in the pulpit. That's why I stick with the Scripture, and I just lift the Scripture and, and let the Scripture speak to situations. I try not to go outside of that because, uh, and Newt Larson was, was right, whenever you, whenever you get ready to say something on yourself, differentiate between God says and I say. In my thoughts, you need to keep those separate. Then he mentions the word teaching, imparting truth to others and making it understandable. And then he goes on to give us the 
how-to in his teaching, didascalia, that is the Greek word there, didascalia, and it means to provide instruction. So a teacher is to impart truth to others and make it understandable, but it is also in, in the sense of that there should be instruction how to do something. So you can have somebody just teach and really without a point. And so the Apostle Paul is saying teaching should not only be instructing, but you have to give teaching. And in other places, uh, to Timothy, he writes, make sure that you teach sound doctrine. And there it's talking about healthy in the sense of what, what you would put in your body or eat, but it's healthy. Make sure that it's, make sure that it's healthy. Then he uses the word exhort or encouraging obedience to Christ. In his exhortation, that is encouragement and counsel. This is interesting because when we think of encouragement, what do we think of? We think of somebody that, oh, you can do this. You can keep going. You can just don't worry about this. We're going to pray about it. God's going to take care of it. I want to encourage you. But here it's encouraging obedience to Christ. There's an element, yes, of encouraging. But the goal is to encourage people to become more like Christ or to be obedient to Christ. And so those are the, those are the three speaking gifts that the Apostle Paul um, outlines. Then he gets into the serving gifts. 7A, 8B through 8D. Serving gifts. Now I know very well that some of you have these gifts. Because I have seen you use them and exhibit and, and use them in the worship of God in, in this church. The first one is service. Practical help for others. Practical help. Paul doesn't expand on this. So when we talk about practical help, it may be cooking a meal for somebody. It may mean going over mowing their lawn because they're unable to. It may be going over to their house and uh, using a, a snow blower to blow off the snow and get their driveway prepared and ready for so they can get out. It, it, it's a practical help. It's, uh, and, and I would venture to say a lot of people in church have this gift. It's helping practically. And it says here, in our serving, or that is to render service. When I was in a doctorate program at Lincoln, on the day of graduation, one of my professors came up to me and said, he said, you see that, you see that bowl that we gave you? And I said, yes, sir, I see it. He said, that is always to remind you that you are a servant. And that, that stuck with me to remind me that, that I am a servant. And this is what we are. We are servants of, of Christ. And we're to wash people's feet. We're to take care of them. Then he uses the word contribute. Contribute to others sacrificially. I think it's combined here with the word generosity, which means uh, generous in manner. You could say it this way, not cheap. It's a good way to look at that. Contributing could be in the sense of 1 Timothy 6, 18, that says be rich in good works. And, uh, and I know, I've seen this on, I'm telling you, I have seen this on display in our church. 
I can think of five people right offhand that are contributors in this church. And I can tell you there's much. We have one of the best churches for helping each other. In 28 years of pastoral ministry, this is one of the best churches I've ever seen of taking care of each other. I want to praise you for that. But don't walk out of here with a big head. <laughs> Just make sure that you understand that, that, that I acknowledge this and see this as your pastor. And some of those that aren't here today are, are good examples of this as well. Um, contributing, which is interesting, it's the word de, uh, meta diomi. Uh, it, it's not just financial. It's not just financial. The idea of sharing what what you have. And I've seen stories in our own church. Somebody's car broke down. They would offer their car. That's contributing. Somebody says, "I have uh, a meal here, but I have too much. I want to." want to help provide a meal for you. That's contributing. Or somebody walks up and says, I want to give you a, 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 a $50 card so that you can take your family out to eat. That's contributing. That's helping. And actually, I've been the benefactor of that. And I know that you're doing this for other people. So I just want to say, I commend you for that. And I, I respect that a lot. Then... There's leading or those who guide. Those who guide. But notice. It's with zeal. Spude. To do one's best to work hard. This obviously refers to anyone who has leadership in the church. Somebody said once to me, since you have a small church, couldn't you just phone your sermons in? And my response, I don't care if there's three people in a church. I am not phoning anything in. I do not answer to this congregation. I do not answer to how many sit under my ministry. Who I answer to is God and the measure of faith that he has given me. That's who I answer to. And if God looks down and, see, and sees that I am phoning it in, there's going to be problems when I stand before him. So I don't care if there's three people here. I will never phone in a sermon for you. I will never go to the Internet and just pick one off. And I've seen pastors do that, and that's wrong all day long. But ultimately, I do not measure my ministry against their ministry. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is where leading, if you are a leader in this church, you should lead with zeal. You should give it the best you've got. You should work hard at it. You shouldn't phone your ministry in. You should do your ministry, work hard. You are a leader of a team, lead that team. Work hard, work together to do great things for God here in Tolono. There are, I'm going to tell you this, there are no small ministries in the kingdom of God. This church has a large ministry in this community and beyond. 
we don't phone anything in. So I want to encourage you as your pastor, work hard at everything that you do. And then lastly, mercy, to show kindness. Hilarathes, hilarathes. The word mercy, of course, to show kindness, but you do this with cheerfulness or happy. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. When you work, work for Him. That, that too, that too focuses not on what we do, but who we do it for. Please, brothers and sisters, do not measure your ministry, what God has given you to do, do not measure it against somebody else. You measure what you've been given to do in accordance with what God has told you to do. That's the key. That is the key. So here you have service, you have contributing, you have leading, you have mercy. So let's land this plane. No one is any better than anyone else in the church. And that includes this pastor. Yes, I am the under-shepherd to the major shepherd to the big shepherd, but I am part of the body of Christ. My job, my role is to study all week, to give you a sermon that comes from God, and through the words, I allow God to speak through me through there and I try not to go beyond that none of us are any important than anyone else you're all equal in the eyes of God secondly each person fits perfectly in the body of Christ God doesn't try to do this and fit you in you fit perfectly we have a lot of gifts in this church and I thank you for using them I know, you're, I know you're thinking, well, this didn't really apply to our church. Yes, it does. You need to be reminded of it. Because as we serve the church community and the world, we've got to have the right mindset, and we have to have the, uh, the understanding that we all work together to accomplish the mission of God and Christ. Thirdly, each person must use their gift. God has given you a gift. You need to be using it. Would, would you agree with that? So I want you to think about what your gift is and start using it in the church. And again, we're, we're better than most. But that, you know, I always, I always get nervous about saying that we're, you know, when, when you commend and do it. Oh, we can just sit back and relax. No, oh, no. I want you to use your gifts and use them for the, for the kingdom of God. 